This week on A Lively Experiment, who are the leading candidates for the race in CD1? One candidate says his poll indicates it may not be who you think. And eight Republican candidates for president gather for the first time in a volatile debate in Milwaukee. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazen White, Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, attorney and former state representative Nick Gorham, Boston Globe reporter Amanda Milkovitz, and political strategist Rob Horowitz. Welcome into this week's Lively. I'm Jim Hummel. It is great to have you with us. It was inevitable that the CD1 race would eventually take on a negative turn. We've got a lot of ground to cover this week as Sabina Matos called on other candidates to drop out of the race and support her against Aaron Regenberg. Gabe Amo said not so fast and that he has an internal poll showing him in second place behind Regenberg. Well, with Matos down the pack, Rob, you've uh, looked at a lot of polls over the years. Uh, maybe the first red flag is internal poll. But, what you know, timing is good with Gabe Amo, but what we should take this with some caution, right? I think, first of all, you have to take all primary polling with some caution simply because in general elections, you have party cues. You have Democrats and Republicans. There's a fixed number of swing voters. Um, so polls are within certain limits, and they're usually fairly accurate in primaries. Because there's no party cues, numbers move up and down, and people change their mind a lot, especially in a race where you still got most of the candidates relatively undefined. In terms of the math methodology of this poll, when you combine robo calls, this is what it looked like, automatic calls, and text messages, although text messaging is used more and more because people don't pick up the phone as much, you could question the methodology. Smart of Gabe Amo to release it. He's trying to say it's a two-way race between me and, and Aaron. She's trying to say it's a two-way race between her and Aaron. The one thing I think that we can probably conclude is Aaron's doing pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And, and I think uh, the release of the internal poll, for what it's worth, kind of showed why uh, Sabina Matos was attacking Gabe Ammo during the debate um, that the Globe had, um, had featured. And she went off on him uh, as being a lobbyist for Home Depot, which he seemed to explain, well, why? Why not? Um, you know, are internal polls really worth anything? I, I don't know. And is the general public really paying attention to it? Not really. I mean, my takeaway is the same. I think Aaron Regenberg is clearly in the lead at this point. Uh, let the record show. Nick's, Nick called Gabe Amo saying, look out for him last time you were on. And that was probably eight, ten weeks ago, right? Uh, seems longer than that, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I did. I also thought Don Carlson would do very well, which mm -hmm. I thought he was doing okay until just very recently. But uh, as for Gabe Amo, uh, I still think, well, I know that polls are polls, especially in primaries, but I think there's probably a symbiosis when you can get your poll out there uh, before the primary and start. People like to go with winners sometimes, and, and they like to see somebody who they appreciate if they're going to support him. Now they'll really support him and make sure they vote. So I think it was a really smart move on his part to publish his internal poll, such as it is. But uh, I agree, Regenberg is really the toughest, uh, the toughest customer in the race, so much money. And I also said money was probably going to be a big factor in this. I still think so. Um, 
down the stretch. We got yeah, two I think so. I think the money's going to really matter a lot. Well, how much is the signature scandal hurt Matos? It hasn't hurt her on endorsements. I mean, we get those emails every right. day. The unions are continuing to endorse her. But you wonder what the average Joe is. It's it's a, it's been a lot of coverage over the last it month. It has been, and I think um, she portrayed herself as a victim, and that's not really very powerful. I mean, she's it's her campaign. You know, she should be taking responsibility for however it happened. Obviously, we're still waiting for the investigation to find out how it exactly happened. But it took her a while to really grab the reins on on this scandal. And at this point, this is kind of what um, her campaign has started to be defined by. I don't know that it's going to really hurt her in the long run. But again, if Regenberg's in the lead, you really don't want anything else between you and him. I think, and I remember, I think that what, what hurt her more than the actual facts of this uh, of the petition drive was how she handled it because you have to take responsibility you're in charge you can't blame everybody you know it's that person's fault it's that person's fault it's your campaign i think if she had gotten up and said hey we made a mistake i take responsibility i i think she would have minimized the damage if there's any accuracy to Amos poll the, the most interesting numbers in it or her how her favorable to unfavorable now she's got twice as much unfavorable on their hand it's an eight or nine way race that matters less and the one thing, I, at least I didn't factor in, she's got about $800,000 of independent expenditure t television money, pretty good commercials up. So mm -hmm. I would not count her out. In terms of the private polling, I think it's actually usually more accurate than the public polling. I just question, um, simply because candidates spend more money on it, pollsters that do this for a living know how to know, know how to really get the primaries. I just question the methodology of this poll. I agree, though, um, that, that Gabe was very smart to release it. And, and try to say, hey, this is a two-way race, look at me. Well, you've got us talking about it. Rob, exactly. you, you've, con you've consulted a lot of campaigns. We talked about this last week. It was breaking. Bringing in that congressman from New York, and, and that it kind of blew up in her face because he got into it with Kate Nagel from Go Local mm -hmm. Prov and, and kind of insulted the press corps and said, you know, you're only picking on her because she's a woman of color. I don't know who's advising that campaign, but, I mean, what did you think when you saw him come in? I thought the problem with it was it just reinforced all the mistakes she made. Somebody else saying, because she, because he, I think he, I think I got this quote directly. She's the victim here, right? It's another don't like don't victimize the victim. What is she? The, right. You know, not to be mean, is she the Donald Trump of of the Democratic Party here? Everything's a plot. She's just a victim. You know, that's not. I'm what sure you she want appreciate be. that comparison. I'm, I'm sure she will. <laughs> we'll get that on tape. Uh, I may actually hear about that. <laughs> yeah. But um, but but I think that's 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 the dilemma here. Again, it's that it's not the original sin. It, it's how she's which which certainly was sloppy and incompetent. But, it, it, but I think everyone would have forgiven that. It, it's how she's handled it to date. I also wonder, um, Nick, in this, I've heard a lot of people, do we need four white guys in Congress? And so, you know, when Sabina Matos and Sandra Cano and Anna Cazada, to a lesser extent, talked about, you know, getting a woman of color in there, I wonder if Gabe Amo offers that option to somebody, you know, going to the polls who said, look, we need a little diversity, clearly not a woman of color, but he's a Pawtucket guy, he's been in Congress, and I wonder in that last 10 days whether he can capitalize on that. Yeah, I've thought about the same thing. I think he will. I, I think your, uh, whatever your thoughts about that are probably right. I think people would like to vote for someone of color, um, especially in Congress. I, I can't think of anyone who served in Congress for Rhode Island that is of color. So, yeah. and he's so polished. He is really good on TV. I've, I've watched And good him. in person. Yeah, he's, um, so I, I think he's gonna be in the race right down to the end. 
But there's just so much money out there for Regenberg. And, you yeah. know, it's, it's and then Don Carlson, toast. we thought, has a boatload of money. And then kind of Tim Oops. White. So let's talk <laughs> about that. Tim White had a report this week. Sure. I, I want to talk about that. But I just want to jump off on something you said, talking about uh, women of color and, and maybe gay mom will be the one. I think you can't discount the abortion issue and how important it may be. Uh, to see a woman, just a woman, representing Rhode Island at this point. And what I found so interesting in watching these debates is how different it sounds, because now we have people who English is not their first language. And, and we have Spanish accents, and we have immigrants, and we have, you know, a multiple people of color. We just don't, we don't have just the usual white guys who are competing. And I think it's really showed how different and interesting the congressional district has become. And um, I'm not sure which way it's going to go, but, you know, if you have a choice between Regenberg and a woman of color or a man of color, I, I, you know, I'm hearing from people who are like, you know what, I want to give somebody else a chance. I like both of them, but why not do something different and have that representation? Okay, so Carlson, um, <laughs> what a great story. It has been absolutely fascinating. Tim I, White, Channel 12. Tim, Tim White, you know, Channel 12 did it again. I've competed against them before. And, you know, they always bring the goods. Their first story, I thought, was a, a little thin. They didn't really say what the allegations were. And I thought, okay, there's got to be another shoe to drop. And, of course, it did and um, became even more pronounced. And, and so just for people who haven't seen it, it's that there were allegations Don Carlson was teaching at Williams, which is his alma mater, you know, uh, great school, the mini Ivy mm -hmm. up in uh, Western Massachusetts, and that there was some inappropriate potentially contact with a student who was graduating, and that got never rose to the level of a, a formal investigation. Yeah. But Williams told him, don't come back. Now, right. this is a guy who'd been, a, I'm sure, a supporter and, a, and all of that. So that raises a couple of red flags. Well, and it's sometimes, you know, in the college environment, it doesn't take much for a college to say, you know, we just don't want to deal with it. But I felt like the second day story really elaborated on it. And the fact that there were multiple lawyers that his campaign or that yeah. he had to try to kill the story, That's I thought the... was quite interesting. They spent more time trying to kill the story than to sit down with him and say... Right. That was the worst mistake, I think, just getting yeah. a bunch of lawyers involved because everybody loves lawyers. Everybody knows yeah, that. Are, <laughs> oh, it must be you okay. You guys are high on <laughs> I can well, that. You're up there with journalists on the, uh, on the popularity oh. poll. Rob, what do you think? I, I think you know, it's, it's tricky because, as Amanda said, you have this college situation. Colleges are always going to err on the side of caution. It may be unfair. I do agree. I think a more straightforward initial response from him would, would, would mm. have probably helped. Clearly, when you're trying to define yourself, and he's got a lot of money, I wouldn't rule it out. Anybody out in this race, pretty much, I can rule out a few people. I wouldn't rule him out. You, you, you don't need anything that, that negatively defines you. So it, it's certainly harmful campaign-wise and more harmful than it would be for somebody who is more known and more defined and people had more feel for. I think just the other person I wouldn't count out here, I, I think she's got an outside chance, but she's really punched above her weight class in terms of money is Sandra Cano. It's probably, yeah. run, probably the run, run the best campaign campaign with, with the most limited resources. And she's really, I mean, well-liked and respected in the Senate. You see, of course, the Pawtucket cabals coming out because she works works there, and, right. but a lot of northern Rhode Island. But I agree with that. She's gotten, you know, Senate President Ruggiero, for whatever that's worth, you've seen a lot of the establishment get behind her. Just one last thing on Carlson. I almost thought it was the nail on the coffin where they had the last quote on the follow-up story. The guy from Williams said, we are relieved to know that Mr. Carlson does not want to come back. And I, right? Oh, yeah. That's a bit of a burn. You know, he does have a lot of money, um, but he's, what, polling fifth? Yeah. So, 
you know, the story is pretty hot and everybody's talking about it. Is it going to make a difference in the race in general? I don't know. Who is he going to pull votes from anyway? Right. Let me just, before we move on, and you've run campaigns, I know this is on the Democratic side, we are less than two weeks out. By the time you watch this, we'll be 10 days um, from primary day. What What do the candidates need to do in these last 10 days in such a low turnout election? Well, early voting has proven to be very potent. Um, it's the it's, uh, get out the vote on steroids, really. Um, it's going to make a big difference in this primary. So just getting the vote out and, of course, running lots and lots of ads to keep your name in front of the electorate. And they'll have That's two, and they'll have two um, statewide, Channel 10 and 12, will be. Mm-hmm. But I wonder, Amanda, how much we like, we're so inside and, you know, the Globe did its thing and we did ours uh, here with the uh, Public's Radio and the Providence Journal, are really people paying attention to debates uh, as much as they used to? I, I, I don't know. I think in general, you know, we have the political junkies and then the rest of the world, which is like, it's August. <laughs> I'm on vacation. And I'll figure it out like a week before. I mean, what's the, what's the turnout going to be, really? That's We talk about who the front runners are. It doesn't matter until we know who's actually going to show up at the polls. What, is the, what do you think could win this? My, eight, eight, 10,000, maybe? My guess is turnout overall is going to be a little higher than people think. Mm. Um, so north of 50,000, but about 50,000. Last time there was a competitive primary such as it was and nothing else on the ballot. I mean, there was other things on the ballot, but nothing that mattered. It was 2012, Cicilline versus Gemma versus the immortal, um, I guess, um, may rest in peace, Chris Young. Oh, yeah. And oh, in yeah. a three-way, it was about 47,000. I think this will go over that a little bit, mm. not a lot. I think 15,000 probably definitely wins it. 10 could win it. Um, and, and I agree, I mean, I think it's get out the vote um, at, at this point. And also, if you have a strong closing argument, debates mainly, in most cases, just reinforce what people already think. And the people that watch it are the ones that usually are most decided. They're watching their candidates. On the other hand, given that this race is so fluid, uh, either a really good debate performance that gets amplified in other media or a really bad one could make a difference. You're going to the way back machine with Chris Young. I'm having PTSD from some of those (laughs) debates. All right, uh, let us move on. I I put on the uh, subject line uh, for this topic, another win for the Access to Public Records Act, another loss for journalism. So uh, Amanda, let's set the table. The win was that Peter Narona, again, sided with uh, Channel 12 in the journal. Some clerk in Jamestown said that the public signatures from Sabina Matos were not a public record right. and we're going to withhold, and they're dead people. So Identity theft, because it's got their names, it's got their addresses. Hello, do you remember phone books? Well, remember the because internet? <laughs> right? Right. So, so Nerona... Right. So Nerona ruled it. And, and look, I've talked to him about this. He moved that to the head of the pack because he thought it was a timely decision. Not like, okay, we'll get to it for a year. Mm-hmm. The sadder part was you had a story about two newspapers going under. Yeah, and you know, I feel like both stories are really are united in a way. So I wrote about uh, the, the Charaho Times, uh, the Coventry Courier, um, two weeklies. Charaho had actually really started in the 70s, then came back in the 90s. Both started in the 90s. Um, and they are under Rhode Island Suburban Newspapers. It's a private group that had bought them up. They own, you know, the Westerly Sun, the Pawtucket Times, Woonsocket Call. They own, you know, some papers in California, Arizona. So uh, the publishers said they d- decided to close those two weeklies um, by the end of the month, um, basically because of costs. You know, it's, you know, rising production costs, falling advertising revenue. This is the story of weekly newspapers, which have been disappearing at a clip of two a week 
since 2004 across wow. the country. This wow. is really scary. I mean, I work for the Boston Globe. I started at a weekly. I started at a little tiny daily, and that's where you really get to know the community. That's where you show up. You are the one reporter who shows up at all the town council meetings and all the zoning board meetings, and you really understand what's going on. Um, the Boston Globe is not doing that. Providence Journal isn't really doing that either, and we used to. They used to back in the day, and so what? You said is we. I say that I too. Did. I say that it's too. We. Go ahead. Nineteen years there, yeah, and four years at the Globe, but yeah, I still say we occasionally. But it's it, that coverage is really critical. You know, the publisher says, well, the Westerly Sun is going to cover it, but they don't have a dedicated reporter in that area. And if you want to understand how important the Cherokee Times was back in the day, when they started, there was talk about a nuclear power plant going into Charlestown. Guess who stopped that? Right. That pa that little tiny paper did because they informed people. That's what we need. I mean, look at Jamestown. I, there's no real dedicated, steady reporting coming out of Jamestown. So it's very easy for a clerk to say, well, I, I don't give that out. I run into it all the time with, with police officers in small towns. We never give out the log. Right. We never give out Why? the reports. And then they, because we don't. Because we don't. We don't. But when you had a reporter coming in all the time, they were used to, we have this interaction. Yeah. If the public is going to lose. The public is losing. Um, so You've seen that probably out your way, too. You live in a rural area. Yeah. The Coventry Courier was a, you know, it was a good paper. It was a weekly. Um, and for the record, I worked for a Gannett newspaper before I went to law school. You did? Ah! This Norwich, is breaking news. Nor I never knew Which, that. What was that? The Norwich Bulletin. Was it I so pleasant that you decided to be a lawyer? <laughs> well, no, I sold advertising. So I was wow. kind of the Herb Tarlick of, um, uh, you know, wow, whatever. Wow, I had no idea about so, that. So, uh, but... I think Amanda has stated it so well, so eloquently. The local coverage is really an essential part of journalism. It's good for society, and it's just vanishing. It really is. The jour journal doesn't do it anymore. Mm. Gannett just has a totally different focus in Rhode Island. The, I think the Providence Journal has profoundly changed yeah. in what it covers and how it covers well, it. Well, because it's owned by a larger corporation. Yeah. More than one out of uh, five people in this country and, and Rhode Island is not exactly a news live in, live in news deserts. Mm. This is more common and it and it's as as Nick Nick mentioned, it goes beyond the importance of journalism of, of journalism, it goes about the importance of democracy. Where, where people learn to compromise, where, where where they learn about practical issues is in local government and, and localities where they learn how to sort of the habits of the heart that uh, Alex Tofel talked about. Public TV, I can mention Tofil. Um, and and, and there's, there's a correlation, strong correlation between robust local news coverage and civic participation. And that's, that's what we're losing all around the country. And, and some of the new solutions like Patch and other online things are, are kind of filling some of the gap, but nowhere near as much of the gap. We've lost, uh, by 2025, we'll have lost one out of every three newspapers in the, in the United States from 2005 will be gone. But so, Amanda, when you and I worked at the Journal, you came right after I did. I was yep. there from 82 to 95. And, of course, we, we ran into each other a lot because we were doing stories. It, the Journal covered every single community. And, you know, you would hear for the for all the council meetings you went to, people would call you because they knew you were the exactly. local reporter for East Greenwich or Woonsocket or whatever. Yeah. I think the thing, you know, as, as media evolves, and I've thought about this a lot because I've worked in print, worked in broadcast, and now I do a lot of online with a partnership with the Journal, the Internet, which is killing newspapers in a lot of way have given rise to the patch. You think the Hummel Report, I can do an eight or ten minute video piece that I never would have been able to done. And think of the Globe. The Globe, mm. Rhode Island, it's really, people, very few people are getting that 
they're not getting the paper in their driveway. They're why, they're looking at you online. Oh, that's because we have wonderful owners who are investing in news. And, and <laughs> what also looked at, if you look, so the mm-hmm. Globe, as you know, was the first one to surpass digital subscriptions per pa- mm-hmm. uh, past the traditional. And, you know, you do the math on the monthly times tens of thousands of people. That funds your salary. So that it does, you to but do I'm it. not going to the Coventry Town Meetings. Right. All the time. And if you think that, oh, the Coventry is closing, well, I live and work. Why would I care? Are you kidding? Because what happens in these towns is going to affect us in the entire state. What are the decisions that are made? What are the candidates who are running for local office there and getting on the school boards and changing things? I mean, it really does matter. What I'm finding is people just don't want to pay for it if they don't Mm. have to. Mm. That's the economic problem that that still is yet to be figured out. If you're a regional outfit like the Boston Globe and you you invest money, the online thing works and people are moving online to buy papers anyway. I was in Atlanta, you can't even find a, a hardline newspaper. If you're the New York Times or the Washington Post, you're doing really well because you have a national audience. To, to make the economics work in a local town's tough. That's why. That's why um, Patch was was the notion was let's we'll be able to aggregate all this and sell national advertising. No one has yet figured that out. Hopefully, someone will because then you'll have more robust local coverage. Final thought. Oh, I just as a former lawmaker in the General Assembly, I felt that the presence of the press at the General Assembly made a tremendous difference of what we did. And I think just it's not quite the same. The Journal doesn't cover it quite the same as they used to. They don't allocate as many resources, and it really hurts the state. But on the local level, it's much worse, I think. Having the press at a town council meeting makes a big difference. It changes the tenor of the meeting, and and it helps the public stay engaged, and it's something we're losing. It's a fun it's, part of my job now. When I walk into a camera to the meeting, there's five council members wonder, is he coming after me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the fun part, right? All right, yeah. let's do this. We are, we're moving along quickly. Let's do outrages and or kudos. Uh, Amanda, let's begin with you this week. Oh, well, let me just continue uh, talking about local news because my kudos is to all my brothers and sisters working at these little weeklies, little dailies here in Rhode Island and across the country. Thank God for you. Stay in there. Please keep up the good fight. We need you. Exactly. Rob? My, my outrage is the six out of eight presidential, Republican presidential candidates. Um, was it last night or the night before? Two nights ago. Two right? nights ago, who, when, when asked if Donald Trump was convicted of a felony. And by the way, these felonies are, are uh, overturning uh, an election for the first time in our history, organizing a coup, having nuclear secrets in your basement in Mar-a-Lago. These, we're not talking about small felonies. Would you still support him if he's the nominee? And six out of eight raised their hands. Uh, the funniest being DeSantis, who's looking around trying to figure out whether she, uh, maybe you give him a little credit for at least realizing maybe it might not be such a great thing to raise your hand. Uh, I think that's outrageous, and it's a sign of what Donald Trump's done with the party uh, and a sign of, of what John F. Kennedy said when he wrote Profiles and Courage. There's a reason why it was, it's a very slim book. It's politics, <laughs> not people in courage. We'll, we'll continue this after outrageous, but let me just ask you. Uh, I've been thinking about this a lot with the Republicans, and maybe Nick wants to chime in. They Are they trying not to alienate the Trump base in case, for some reason, Trump gets taken out? Because their only path to victory, if he stays in, is taking him on, isn't it? Uh, I, I think part of it is not necessarily taking him directly on. First of all, if you look at, at the polling in the primaries in Iowa, he's only at 40%. New Hampshire, he's under 40%. Yeah. It's, so the first, your first order of business as a candidate is to define yourself. And, and I think part of it is they are waiting for him to fall of his own way. 
you don't have to take them directly on, but on, on certain just, just sort of fundamental values questions, you, there would have been nothing wrong, and I don't think it would have killed you politically, because you still got to get the, the people that are open to not voting for them if, if, you, didn't, if you didn't raise your hand to that and say, and say, I at least want to look at it and see what happens. Even. Okay. Let's get Nick's outrage, and then we'll go back to that. Or kudo. Uh, well, first, I guess my kudo is to the Block Island Volunteer Fire mm. Department, who really did uh, save... Uh, a lot of damage that could have taken place. They did a great job in controlling the fire. At There's the no harbor truth in the rumor that you rushed into, that you were on the island, I, I, and that you I, rushed I, over with a hose, I, right? I, I did not mm -hmm. run stayed out the of the hose. way. I stayed out of the way, um, and also the many mutual aid uh, mm. participants from around the state. Everything worked really well. That was a great thing. Well coordinated. Uh, I wasn't going to have an outrage. Um, I will say, just. I can't, I, I've been a Republican my entire life, and I can't make heads or tails of what's going on in the presidential race. It's just such uncharted territory. I don't really know where any of this is going. You watch these debates, and the, the number one person doesn't show up, and there are all these crimes that are being alleged. And, uh, you know, it's not just uh, Trump. It's Biden, too. He's mired in a really bad situation with his son. And here we are, um, heading into election, uh, the likes of which I don't think we're, we've ever seen, with all these allegations about putting presidents in jail and everything. I, I don't think it's good for the country. Um, I, you know, I, I think the debates are going to be impossible until they start talking about uh, Donald Trump. I don't think the debates are going to mean anything if they don't start talking about that. I would definitely agree. I mean, him not being on the stage and he's the front runner. He should have been there. He should have been answering questions. Mm. Um, but, you know, he's alleged to have committed crimes and um, I want to see the system work. And we are seeing the system work. I, I mean, he showed up to be arraigned. He showed up um, to have his mugshot and his fingerprints and to be processed. And we are in an uncharted territory. I'm fascinated yeah. because if this is truly a country of justice, Everybody should be subject to the same rules. It shouldn't be if you're a little wealthy, if you're president or former president of the United States, that you can skate. Or that I thought this was rigged and I went to all... So, I mean, what is the defense? That he was delusional? Uh, I don't know. But let, so let me ask you a question, because yes. we've got a couple of minutes left. I, my personal feeling is we have 350 million people in this country, and it's going to be Trump and Biden again. If that is the case, or maybe it's Trump. Let's look at the Democratic side, because who knows where we're going to be a year from now, and you have historical perspective on this. Isn't it very difficult for an incumbent to lose if the economy's doing reasonably well, if all of these other things, doesn't the, doesn't the nod kind of go to the incumbent? Usually, on the other hand, Joe Biden's approval rating is relatively low. It's, it's mired Even in among 40. Democrats. Um, he'll end up doing fine with Democrats, but, but it's, it's mired overall, you know, in the low 40s. His age is a real, is a real issue. Um, so he, he is vulnerable. And, and, you know, Donald Trump didn't get reelected. George H.W. Bush didn't get reelected. You could not get reelected. Jimmy Carter didn't get reelected. Um, now, Donald Trump makes Biden a very solid favorite. 64% of voters already say they definitely or probably won't vote for Donald Trump. Over 50 are saying definitely not. Um, whatever little bump he may be getting in the Republican primaries, which I think is overrated, by the way, I think he's much more vulnerable than people realize even in the primaries. I'm not sure he's going to be the nominee. Um, in the general election, this all hurts him. And it's another year of 
all the acting up he does may help him in terms, terms of uh, the primary a little bit, hurts him with the swing voters. Last 30 seconds. I just can't believe that a Democrat other than RFK Jr., Robert F. Kennedy Jr., hasn't stepped forward. I, I really, I, I feel strongly Biden is but really not. But to take on an incumbent yeah, president. But, but it's, it's much better for the country if a I mean, good Democrat came forward. Kennedy when he tried to take on Carter. Yeah, that was different, though. I, you know, Carter was not compromised, as I think. Biden is clearly compromised. Uh, and I don't think he's, he's going to last another four years. Some Democrats should step forward. And if they, would, if they would, I'm sure they would be rewarded for their bravery alone to take him on. All right. And they should. We've got to go. Thanks, folks. We appreciate it. Rob and Amanda and Nick, thank you. Folks, come back next week. We have one more program before uh, primary day, and we'll see what happens over the course of the next week. We'll be back here to discuss it as the Lively Experiment continues. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazen White, Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.